we catch fish is sustainable, it's ethically harvested, there's rules and regulations around it, and people feed their family, and I'm quite proud of that. I think it's a very worthwhile occupation. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. The New South Wales commercial fishery is small but diverse. New South Wales is fortunate to have a well-managed and healthy commercial fishing sector. Snapper, yellowfin brim, flathead, king and school prawns, sea mullet, mulloway, whiting, yellowtail kingfish, mud and blue crabs, eastern rock lobster, and then there's all the deep water reef fish, such as blue eye travella. There are many of these species seen on the menus of not only the best restaurants in Sydney, but through pubs, clubs and local retail stores across New South Wales. They're all harvested by New South Wales commercial fishermen. The seafood industry in New South Wales, including aquaculture such as oyster farmers, with its fishers, wholesalers, processors and retailers, generates over half a billion dollars of economic activity each year. Of this, the wild harvest component is worth more than $100 million at the wharf. The New South Wales fishing industry is primarily made up of small family businesses that rely on high levels of local knowledge and skills learned over many generations. The seafood industry depends on fisheries being viable, profitable and sustainable. Coffs Harbour on the mid-north coast of New South Wales is home to not only one of the most important fishing cooperatives, but it's also the home port of Jeff Blackburn, lifetime fisher, chairman of Ocean Watch and a 2022 Australian Seafood Industry Hall of Fame inductee. My name is Jeff Blackburn. I'm a professional fisherman. Uh, working in the commercial fishing industry. Uh, I live in Coffs Harbour region and I fish the uh, what's known as Zone 3 up here, which basically extends from Lauriton to just north of Coffs Harbour in the Estuary General Fishery. Born and bred in Sydney, uh, lived on the, the Port Hacking River uh, back before there was much out there, uh, halfway up towards the Royal National Park. I used to hang around down the Cronulla area, and this is I used to ride a horse and around the place down there, and uh, at times found myself out near the Fisheries Research Centre, where that's situated at the mouth of the Port Hacking River, and I often saw one boat coming in. There was a lot of seagulls flying around him. The man was obviously cleaning his uh, leather jacket catch or gill and gut and his snapper, and it was just one of t- those nice days, a bit like today, and it looked pretty good, and I thought that would be a good thing to do and uh, forgot all about it until one day uh, I spoke to a, a bloke and he was um, he was actually a professional fisherman. And uh, I'd gone off and done a trade and worked around the place, uh, out west and what have you. And uh, and I thought, oh, well, I'll, uh, I've always liked fishing. I thought in my ignorance, I thought I'd uh, have a go at it. So I obtained a license and uh, I actually thought I might like to uh, be a fisheries officer because I had family in one of my uncles was a fisheries officer. Um, and he had quite a long career. Uh, so I, I wandered off to the local fisheries office and I said to them, I said, look, I want to, um, I, I'm thinking about being a fisheries officer. And uh, I struck one of those people that you do in life and uh, he asked me my education level 
and I told him, and he said, no, nope, you haven't attained a high enough education standard. We won't accept you. And I said, fair enough. Well, how much did it cost to be a professional fisherman? And it was $2 for a licence. So I gave him $2 and uh, walked out with a licence. And that's how it started. Getting into fishing can take many paths. Not many of them are on the back of a horse. Jeff's entry into the world of professional fishing is unique as the man himself. Uh, now, when, when I got my licence uh, down, that was um, uh, on the Georges River. That was the, the, the office that I went and saw. Uh, I knew nothing about professional fishing at all. Uh, like a lot of people, I was a, a very keen recreational fisherman, thought I knew what I was doing and all the rest of it. Um, there was no commercial fishing in the port hacking itself as a river. Uh, I ended. I found myself, I, I went up to um, the northern beaches. I was up around the Hawkesbury area and I'd done a little bit of work in the Georges River uh, with gill nets and hauling, not much because I, I didn't know anything and no one wanted to uh, have a young fella come on as competition. And I end up. I started on a, a boat called the Echo Star, which was a fish trawler uh, back in. Uh, let me see. I started '77, so that would have been the the late '70s. And I worked on that for a while, and they worked me hard and did the did the decent thing and didn't pay me much. Um, and then I was also uh, again honing the skills of gill netting and hauling and trapping. Uh, basically starving to death because I, I didn't really know anything and I, I didn't understand what it was to be professional. Uh, so it was fairly hard uh, learning how to make gear and uh, watching and, yeah, just a lot, a lot of hard work, fish prices. I can remember mullet used to be, uh, you know, 30 cents would have been uh, a gift uh, and blackfish and uh, ladric, uh, they were a fish I could catch a lot of because they're not real hard to catch and they're very plentiful. And always thought, and like they were blackfish were 18 cents. And I remember thinking to myself, if I could get a dollar a kilo for these fish, I, I could survive and make a living. And uh, so I just kept hard at it because I was pretty bloody minded and I, I enjoyed uh, the life. Uh, totally unrealistic as a young man, not understanding uh, the commitments of life, like, you know, marriage and maternity and mortgage was a long way from my thoughts. Uh, I was just enjoying life and um, and working and not getting anywhere, really. Uh, so I, I stuck with it and um, a lot of people uh, did help me along the way and have continued to do so. Uh, from the Hawkesbury, I had um, I ended up moving back to Botany Bay. Uh, when I left the Hawkesbury, I had a prawn trawler, uh, which I subsequently sold. And I've, I've always worked in the estuary, uh, as well as dabbling in the other fisheries. Uh, the I went back to the uh, Botany Bay area and worked there, uh, which was quite a vibrant fishery. It's a very good fishery. No longer uh, being a wreck haven, uh, but the the fish were it's a, a, an area where fish travel through all the time. The fish just don't sit in one spot, so they they come in and out with the seasons. Uh, enjoyed uh, a very good um, lifestyle and catch rate down there, 
and then family things happened and moved to Coffs Harbour. Wild catch fishermen are by nature nomadic, often travelling long distances chasing fish. This might be fine for a young single bloke, but for a man looking to find a stable, safe and reliable fishing port from which to raise a family, choosing a location that can provide a sustainable commercial and family lifestyle can take years. The move to Coffs Harbour was very difficult because uh, it different areas, different habits of fish. You don't know the area, you don't know what they do on certain times and wind and everything. Uh, it's a, it's fairly confronting. It takes a while to work it out. Uh, it makes you a better fisherman, uh, but you just got to go and grind and be prepared. So it was totally different uh, working in Coffs Harbour as it was to Taree or Jarvis Bay. Uh, which are all places I've worked, or the Shoalhaven down south. Uh, I've been all up and down the coast. Uh, but when uh, my wife, um, I was fortunate enough to get married, uh, when my wife and I started having, I said to her, when we start having kids, and that was a, a conscious decision, um, when the first child starts school, wherever we are at that time, because we were looking for a home, we were looking for somewhere to be, I said, when, when that child starts school, wherever we are, we'll stay there. And it just happened to be that we were in Coffs Harbour when my eldest child started school. Uh, so we stayed and lived with all the consequences of that. Just like, well, I, I suppose I've been fairly selfish in life because even through all the, the trials and tribulations and the ups and downs, I, I didn't go for a more mainstream lifestyle. I wanted to be a fisherman, it's what I was. And therefore, I basically, um, my family then had to put up with the financial consequences of those decisions. In early days, it was fairly hard. Where a community or a group of communities have an exclusive access to a fish resource, it's important that the fishermen can coordinate and collaborate on their efforts. In New South Wales in the early 1900s, the concept of forming fishermen's cooperatives to assist in coordination proved to be the turning point for the fishing industry. Formation of the Coffs Harbour Fishermen's Cooperative importantly provided the means to construct a purpose-built facility with processing, packing, storage, distribution and marketing all being handled centrally on behalf of the members. Membership of the cooperative allows Jeff to focus on what he loves most and does best, fishing. What he catches can depend on the season, the weather, and the day. Oh, now, well, I worked a couple of the, the rivers uh, around the place. I work in the Nambucca and the Maclay, mainly. I do a little bit up in the marine park where I, uh, I trap mud crabs. That's a predominantly my main thing. Uh, but I catch mullet, blackfish, Sam whiting, uh, black flathead, mulloway. Anything that's got a dollar attached to it, like you don't, I don't catch fish and then see if I can sell it. Uh, I spend a lot of time not catching fish, trying to uh, get the right fish so that they're, they're, I like to catch to order, I'll put it that way, uh, because it's a finite resource. What I do these da days now is I, I get out of bed before daylight. Uh, as soon as it's cracking daylight, I, I try to do a little bit of work on my gear or I go straight down. If I'm trapping, trapping's a full-time job because you service your traps, you, you go down and uh, move them or put, uh, like rebait them, uh, make sure they're all right, all the rest of it. Uh, or if I'm going gill netting, 
I, I get up, I pick the tide, uh, get the boat with the net that's on it, uh, the appropriate net, and then I, I go down and try and catch a few fish. Uh, and again, with like with mullet, like I've got an order now for Monday morning. A bloke wants eighty kilo, so I'll go and try and catch eighty kilo. And when I catch enough uh, for the orders, uh, maybe you get a few extras if you can. For if you think you can move them on, because you can always send them to Sydney. Uh, but the the price of uh, transport is very difficult. Uh, it, so you, everything chops away at the bottom line. So I prefer to work for a set price. Uh, yeah, just get, go and find your fish. All the mud crabs go to Sydney because that is where the market is, uh, and I support. They go through my local co-op. Um, my product goes through there and, and on to Sydney, or the market, uh, the co-op will sell it uh, for me, or I will have um, or uh, people will want the stuff, and I tell the co-op that that's where I want it to go, and it comes through with the infrastructure. Uh, because the co-op supports me with ice and I don't have to sit in the side of the road waiting for a truck or deliver it. So that they provide a service that um, is cost beneficial to me. But, yeah, no, my fish goes uh, – it used to be exported as well. Uh, the mullet run used, used to – but COVID sorted a lot of things out. And um, actually COVID hasn't been uh, such a bad thing for my industry. Uh, because the Australian public's finally woken up that we've got world-class seafood here. We don't have to rely on overseas stuff. And, look, yeah, our isolation in, in Australia is our strength, and we can sustainably use it. It'll last forever. It provides employment and good health benefits uh, and, and everything, and we just don't have to be beholden to anybody else. So it can be totally sufficient, you know. Aquaculture is an important, actually vital part of the supply chain of seafood and will continue to become more so in the future. Wild caught seafood, however, is really special. It's the last of the predominantly hunted proteins we eat and the variety of flavours and textures remain unmatched. People like eating fish, but they don't want to see someone catching it. Uh, it's really, it's an interesting little argument to be in, but it's... And we've got this great uh, sea change where everyone's leaving the city and they come and sit around the coastal areas and then they don't want to see someone catching, you know, their fish. But, but we only, as commercial fishermen, we only exist to supply fish to people that can't get it themselves. We support a massive entertainment uh, industry through restaurants and uh, wholesalers and just everybody. It's, we're, we're the base of an inverted pyramid, you know. And, like, we, we catch fish, it's sustainable, it's ethically harvested, there's rules and regulations around it, and people feed their family, and I'm quite proud of that. I think it's a very worthwhile occupation. And one of the big things uh, about it, and this is where I really try to get through the, a lot of the younger blokes, uh, the, the issue is we've all got children, or most of us have children in the industry, and kids in regional areas, uh, they usually have to go to a big city to have a career path. But if you've got a good, strong, viable industry, it means kids don't have to leave home if they don't want to. My children scattered all across Australia. My son's back now and he's just come into the industry. But if the kids have got good, viable career paths, whether it's in hospitality, processing, mechanics, all the industries we support, they can stay at home. 
strengthens a family, strengthens a community, strengthens a state, eventually strengthens a whole country. I, and I just think that's important. It also gives people, especially young people, a lot of them appear to be a little bit lost at the moment with the way things are. Um, it, it, it's you can have a good sense of purpose because you are supplying people with good quality foodstuffs. So it is an ageing industry, there's no doubt about that. Um, but as older blokes drop out and get out of the road, because you physically can't do it uh, much longer, uh, there'll be economic opportunity. Jeff was one of the early adopters in the seafood industry to embrace the need for wild catch fishermen to operate sustainably with an eye for the, both the environment the cultural and the commercial sustainability of the fishing industry. His role as chairman at Ocean Watch gives the agency clarity, validity, and a real-time understanding of how to motivate, inspire, and manage seafood sustainably within the catching sector. One thing that um, has happened along the way, a lot of people have uh, climbed into me, and I found myself asked to join the Ocean Watch board. Now, Ocean Watch is, uh, I've since been, I've been there for a long time. I've since, and i deeply honoured to become chairman. Ocean Watch is a wonderful organisation. Uh, it runs, it's all about sustainable use of the environment and the protection of the environment. And we do a lot of uh, extension work, uh, bycatch reduction and helping fishers and started a program called the Master Fisherman Program. And that's basically an induction program to show fishermen, especially younger ones, uh, what's actually involved in the industry. Because well, like me, I knew nothing. I just went and caught fish. And there's so much more to the industry than that. So the Master Fisherman Program is an accreditation program. Uh, fishers go and it doesn't cost them anything. Um, and it's something that they can use for point of sale, uh, point of difference marketing. Uh, I'm a little bit challenged on the uh, technology side of it. I mean, I don't use Facebook. <laughs> I'm an adult. That's why I don't use it. Simple as that. Um, we might show a particular mindset. But no, the, the Ocean Watch is a really, really good organisation. I'm extraordinarily proud to be involved with it. And uh, we're a wonderful team of people. Uh, it, it, and it work. It does really, really good things for industry. It's completely apolitical. It doesn't. Uh, it's all about the marine environment and looking after it. Because if we look after it, it'll sustain us for forever. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people did a lot of work on it. Um, but yeah, no, it was a um, a bit of an initiative that we thought about it because it was obvious to some of us in it. Like I knew the level of my ignorance around what was controlling my destiny. Uh, so I, I had my little say and the, the program developed and it's been quite successful uh, in have basically a first point of contact for fishermen to understand their rights, roles and responsibilities is the way I put it. Uh, the other states are looking at it to implement it. We also do a program like that for oyster farmers. Uh, lots of people, uh, even things like... Uh, how government works and governance works and, and the department works and the interactions with government departments and other people, you know, um, because if you don't know, you don't know. That's all there is to it. Um, and I think it, as the industry becomes more professional, uh, it'll just it'll continue to grow. 
The Office for a Commercial Fisherman may not offer the opportunity to share stories around the water cooler like an office, but I'd argue that the stories from the Office of a Commercial Fisherman are amongst the most unique working day anecdotes that can be found. You see things that not many other people see, I can tell you. Um, not so much anymore, but the... Well, when I was working at sea, we got caught out in a, uh, a fairly bad uh, lightning storm. And I've seen, I've seen lightning bounce off the waves and ricochet across like uh, snooker balls. That was a fairly interesting day. Um, what Recently, uh, we were pushing a bit hard in, in the river to go and make, make a pay. And the bloke that works with me, he was in the boat, we're, we're towing along and... Uh, I said, come on, we'll go and do another shot. And he said, no, I want to go home. And I said, no, no, come on, we'll do another shot. So I was thinking to myself, this is all right. So I just keep going. I didn't go to the boat ramp and I turned around and he was gone. He stepped out. because We only were in shallow water in the river. He stepped out of the boat and walked ashore and walked home. <laughs> he, he truly voted with his feet. <laughs> uh, you know, so... Yeah, no things. It's 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 inter- There's lots of funny things that happen. Um, you, we often get people come and and want to have a look. I'll show anybody because people got a lot of misconceptions. It's a great lifestyle. You see lots of different types of fish. Uh, a lot of people. Um, yeah, that that to me that's the, the big thing is um, sharing it. But the trouble is, if you share it and you create, you can create your own opposition. Uh, lots of people don't understand. Despite the multitude of challenges that the small, independent commercial fisherman faces, it's the likes of Jeff that offer hope for the future with his undying sense of optimism and never-rest commitment to improvement. Oh, look, I'm very and uh, I'm very positive about the industry. I cannot believe. But there's lots of things that there's a fair bit of angst about in the reform process. It's the biggest thing that's ever been done anywhere, and there's been a lot of disaffected people for a lot of different reasons. Um, I, I seriously cannot believe how good an industry this is. Going. I mean, the sky is not the limit anymore. Uh, there's been changes that have made it possible for people to be reactive and change their businesses. Uh, we're still grappling with self-determination. But the, the markets there, the population, no one wanting to love our seafood. It's really, I'm very, very positive. The greatest regret I got I'm too old. Uh, like I said, I, I started catching fish and you know, I had hungry eyes looking at me across the table and I was raising them on 50 cents a kilo. Uh, the price now can be anything up to 5 $6 a kilo for those same staple fish. Uh, but, you know, expenses are gone. But expenses have not kept up. Uh, sorry, the prices haven't kept up with the like fuel and energy, but that's you know just because you can catch something and produce it doesn't mean you've got the right to sell it profitably. That's what business is. So the younger ones will figure out their business models, but they, I think now they're going a long way to getting the tools to adjust. Um, it's been a very difficult road, but I just I like to look at what we've got, not what we missed out on. And I think if people can remain engaged, put forward good, solid arguments, be reasonable, and just you know engage. You've just got to engage. You don't have to have the same opinion as everybody else. 
uh, just engage, put your point of view across and see where it falls. That's that's probably the biggest thing for me to see, to help somebody along their way and see where they go. Because nobody said to me when I was 16, 18, 20, where do you want to be in five years? And I think that's the, one of the greatest things our industry can do is support people to get to where they want to be. Because when you're younger, John, you don't know where you want to go and what you want to do. Life, life tends to happen to us. And I, I just think it's a really good community full of a lot of really good, passionate people uh, who take a lot of pride in providing uh, food for people uh, to feed their families and themselves, you know. So, and, yeah, no, I just think it's a, I'm really passionate about it. And the environment, uh, like, you, you know, you, I don't like living in a, in a sewer or a tip. I'm pretty certain fish, animals, everything the same. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's not rocket science, but unfortunately we treat the environment as though somebody else lives here and needs it. Like all fishermen, often it's the thrill of the hunt and the independence that drives them. Whilst these concepts are his underlying passion for his business, Jeff's love of nurturing and building the fishing industry for the future is to be respected. I think it's the, the freedom. I think it's a great escape. Uh, because realistically, when you're on your boat, uh, like, oh, I've just drifted under a tree here now just to talk out of the sun, because um, it, it's, while I'm here, I'm not worried about the dog, I'm not worried about my missus, my kids, I'm not worried about the neighbours, I don't have to mow a lawn. I honestly think it's a complete abrogation of all social responsibilities. It's a guy thing. <laughs> And I, I think, I think, yeah. As I alluded to earlier, I, I think I've possibly been selfish in remaining fishing, um, but through a lot of hard work and a lot of good luck and a lot of people helped me, we, I've managed to um, uh, go through this far. You know, I was thinking about it uh, the other day when I was pulling a trap, and I thought because I was hurting uh, on the wrong side of sixty-five, and I thought, why? Uh, then, then I looked around. It's just, I think it's a very, a very good real existence that provides uh, people with opportunity. And that, I think that's the greatest thing because I know I couldn't have, uh, in a nine to five job, I couldn't have uh, been able to help and my family come through. And I know that the industry provides a place for people that don't uh, fit the social model, if I could put it that way. Uh, because it's a very good place. Immigration, it's played a big part in the development of our, our country uh, because we, when immigrants come to this country, normally they go fruit and veg or any, any, they work or they went fishing and it provides opportunity. Uh, I, I think that's a great strength. I think we so need the commercial fishing industry. But yeah, no, I think it's a great industry. I just, I just see it going further and further and further. And I think it's good because if we lose the industry, no one's going to be looking after the environment. And because if there's value in it, people will look after it. It's very simple. Put a value on it and people look after it because the self-interest and a monetary return, and whether whatever it is, and it's like we've only got one life, we've only got one world. You should be looking after it uh, because we're only visiting. Fishermen are often accused of being single-minded, sometimes even selfish. Jeff Blackburn's undying commitment to fostering excellence in the seafood industry has been his calling card for decades. His love of the industry, its people and its product 
makes Jeff a true star of the sea. This is Fishtails, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtails Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtailspodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.